Welcome into episode 18 of the Sources Say podcast, a brand new addition to the growing KSR podcast network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Happy to be joined once again by recruiting guru, David Sisk of CatsIllustrated.com. David, my friend, how are you doing today, man? And uh, what, what are the Sisk Thanksgiving plans? Uh, the Sisk Thanksgiving plans are putting up Christmas lights, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and if you'd like to get a more detailed uh, uh, scouting report of what we're going to do, you know, I, I can get my wife on here and, and she could tell you because uh, I'm afraid I'm at uh, her bidding for the next few days. <laughs> All right, and, and you need to think about that before before the ceremony. Oh, I know, I know. It's it's already coming. I'm I am uh, <laughs> I am knee deep in all of that fun. So yeah, let me tell you, it's 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 coming. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate you you joining us. Um, you know. Obviously, with with Thanksgiving, we wanted to get something. Thanksgiving being tomorrow, we wanted to get something out uh, here on Wednesday, so you can have something to listen to uh, either Wednesday night or maybe Thursday morning while you're driving to your Thanksgiving festivities or whenever you want to listen to it. We just wanted to make sure that you had something to to get you by uh, and to get excited for. Um, but yeah, again, David, I appreciate you joining us. Um, and before we get into all of the fun. Kentucky basketball news and the latest in the world of recruiting. I have to give a quick shout out to our friends at BBN Vegas. Now the time is running out. The the BBN Vegas trip is next month. We are literally just a few weeks away, so time is running out. The Big Blue Nation takes over Las Vegas this December when Kentucky basketball hits Sin City. The action tips with the Kentucky vs. Utah game presented by UK Healthcare and benefiting coaches vs. cancer on Wednesday, December 18th at T-Mobile Arena. And then the BBN will have the opportunity to hit the links at the world-renowned Shadow Creek Golf Course on Friday, December 20th as part of Golf Blue benefiting coaches vs. cancer. The Cats then play in the CBS Sports Classic against Ohio State on Saturday, December 21st. Visit BBNVegas.com or follow along on social media at BBN Las Vegas for full information, game tickets, hotel accommodations on the Las Vegas Strip. You name it, they have it for you. They've been posting all over social media to get fans excited about this game. They're ready for you, and I am ready for you. I will be out there. It's going to be one heck of a time. Make sure to go find them at BBNVegas.com. Now, we have a whole bunch of fun stuff to talk about this week. Uh, well, th there was a whole lot to, of fun stuff to talk about in the, you know, leading up to today. And then, um, obviously, this morning, UK was dealt with yet another devastating injury to keep pushing back this consistency and, and the success they've been finding. They just get healthy again, and Nate Sestina breaks his, his left wrist in practice on Tuesday evening. Uh, David. Give me your immediate reactions to Nate Sestina's injury and what it means for the Kentucky program in the immediate future. My immediate reaction was like, wow, I can't believe it was another one. But I, I shouldn't be surprised. Um, with all the injuries that they've had, you know, Nick Richards, uh, E.J. Montgomery, Emmanuel Quickly, and now Sestina. I, I want to put a bow on this to start out. If, if there's anybody out there that's concerned that John Calipari's not working these players hard enough in practice. And I don't know that there's many of them, but if there are, you, you can put those worries aside because 
evidently uh, uh, he's wearing them out. Uh, you know, I, I can see them having physical practices, and they talk about them at Kentucky, how they're harder than the game, and I can just see that taking place. Uh, as far as Nate goes, uh, the big thing, I think it's short term. I, I'm, I'm hearing uh, things I'm ready to hearing two to three weeks maybe. Uh, and so it's nothing serious, nothing where he's out for the season. We'll be back before SEC play. I'm hoping he'll be back uh, and be effective before uh, Louisville and Ohio State. But the, the thing right now I probably look at more than anything is John Calipari was giddy Sunday night after the game that he was going to have one game in 12 days. Mm-hmm. And he was going to get to what he calls camp. I've called it boot camp for since last year because mm-hmm. it's mid-major schedule and the games are spread out. You can tell it, it's something that you can measure. It's measurable mm-hmm. from the 1st of November to the middle of December, how much they improve. So he was really excited. He has one game in 12 days, number one. And number two, he has a full roster. Uh, so, and now you don't have a full roster. Nate's out. And, you know, that's a big issue there just as far as having numbers to get to practice, to get to work on things. But also, there was three names he mentioned, Jack, that he wanted to uh, really, he wanted these guys to kind of find her, and he called it to get comfortable. And that was Nate Stina, Khalil Whitney, and Keon Brooks, all three newcomers. They just kind of find where they can play to their strengths and have some success and, and, and kind of get comfortable into the college game. And AJ got hurt, and Nate had to slide down to the block. He's not an inside player. He's a stretch forward. It's going to set ball screens and pop. He's not really got to play into that. Now they have the opportunity with a full cast to do it, and he gets hurt. So now that growth process that could come to two weeks is not going to be there. When he does come back, he's going to be rusty. He's going to have to learn on the fly. The schedule gets tougher. So, you know, th- there are some ramifications. It's, it's, there's more to it than just a two-week injury, and then he's back. Yeah, absolutely, and and there was so here here's my understanding of the entire situation. So there were rumblings early on Wednesday morning, like very early morning, that something had happened at practice, and then word leaked out that uh, that it that it was Nate Sestina and that it was a wrist. And the very immediate news was that it did not look good. And I from from my understanding. Late last night, there was pretty significant pes- pessimism uh, surrounding the, the, the. There was substance to the he's not going to return for several months talk that happened this morning. That that talk was was legitimate, and I think that was based on very initial. Uh, very initial reactions based on how it happened, uh, what it looked like afterward. They did not think that it looked very good, and that is what that's what kind of caused the the pessimism. And I think the um, when he got into the it, you know he was hand, dealing with the doctors this morning, and and as they kind of got a closer look at it, and were, they were able to get um, get further into the the X rays and and see um, see kind of what what happened on on the inside there. They, it looked much better than than originally they originally thought, um, you know, immediately. And then the the 
several month timeline backed up all the way to you know four weeks or so from what Calipari said originally and then I believe Kyle Tucker even said that or, well I, I guess Kyle Tucker then said um, he talked to him the doctors are kind of saying three weeks is a very comfortable timeline and then Calipari did his uh, pre his pre UAB uh, press conference and said that some people are telling him that it could be as early as two weeks. So this this timeline has gone from literally the absolute worst to the worst it could be to pretty pretty darn favorable for a broken left wrist. It does help that this is a left wrist. It is a non-shooting wrist. So um, that obviously expedites the process and, and kind of helps the rehab because it's not a shooting hand. It's, he's not, it's you know, not his dominant hand. So um, he can kind of ease into that a little bit more. But, yes, you bring up a great point. This – you know, Calipari said that the, the, the three players that he's that he's really um, hoping can kind of use this as as a as a, a a growing process with this this much practice time and this much space in between games is is the three you, the, the three you mentioned, Sestina, Whit, Khalil Whitney, and Keon Brooks, and I think those final two guys are massive massive pieces that are just simply going to have to step up step up in in Sestina's absence. Calipari said even going into the year that he was going to have to play a small ball lineup after he, he kind of struck out on, on the Kerry Blackshears of the world, Jaden McDaniels, Nefali Dante. When he struck out on those guys, they kind of asked him, even with the three big men they already had, they said, he said, yeah, we're going, to need to, we're going to need to go small ball at times, and it's going to be Khalil and Keon as the, as the main guys. Well, now we're down to two, and he really has no other option but to go to – to Khalil and Keon. Um, now, with those two, David, tell me what what do you think each of them they both have to do to kind of overcompensate for Sistina's absence in 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 these over these next couple weeks? What are you what do you think Kentucky needs to see out of both of them if they want to keep this same level of consistency and the success that they found over the last two games? Well, I don't think really that. There's in one part. I, I'm I'm going to go uh, opposite poles here. Uh, on the first one, I don't think there has to be a whole lot because I'm going to be honest. Nate Sestina. It's like Cal Perry talked about Sunday. He's got to get Cal Perry in a comfort zone. So when you look at the last two games, how they've kind of come along offensively, Nate Sestina has not been a huge part of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's still trying to find his way. You know, he's had some open shots, not many. You know, he was brought in as a stretch four who was a three-point shooter. He's not had many looks, but, you know, he's not made many of those. Now, and then you look on the defensive end, you see teams really trying to spread them out, getting mismatched in a switch, and, and then just go at him, and they can't necessarily do that as easily with Richards and Montgomery. And that's not a knock on Sestina, but he is the one player right now, like we said, that's trying to find his way uh, with this lineup and with his style. Uh, so, in, in in a nutshell, I don't think they really have to change anything. If it was Ashton, and this is not a knock on Nate, it's just where things stand. If it was Ashton Hagens, Tyrese Maxey, Nick Richards, it'd be a different story. And I mean, I'm just being honest. Uh, so, that's not as big. Uh, but I, I feel like also, I was very interested to see where Calipari was going to go offensively because we know 
he likes to change what he does and, and find that fit. And he tinkers all year long and he runs some different things. And I was very curious here in the next 12 days what he went like with his offensive sets and where they went to. Did, did he go less? You know, he still run a lot of half-course stuff that he ran last year. You know, does he get away from that and really now work on the small ball, on spreading it out, on, on running, on spacing the floor, uh, playing four out around the perimeter and one to post or even five out? Because he's not done a ton of that yet. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. I, I wanted to see where he where that went. And uh, Sestina's injury, I don't think, necessarily dominates what they're going to do there. So I think there was going to be some changes anyway, even before he got hurt. But like I said, on the other hand, in making those changes, I just don't think right now that Sestina was a, a prevalent piece in all that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you bring up a really good point with that because against Lamar, Sestina only had 18 minutes and he kind of started fading out as one of the the primary options there um you know as they started to find their rhythm and, and then find their groove a lot of those um a lot of times out on the floor he wasn't he wasn't the main go-to options or a lot of the times he wasn't even out there on the floor they were they were finding their success without him and that's kind of a a rather significant significant aspect of it because you know that this is a team that had has had just really struggled to find their identity for the most part over the over the first several games and you know they've had such ups and downs and and inconsistent play and these last two two games have kind of been the first two opportunities for them uh, that that they've actually taken advantage and and played a complete game from start to finish. At least this Lamar game, I thought it was their most complete game um, from for, you know to a a, a two half game that they played all season long. And to to kind of factor in that to kind of factor in that Sestina wasn't the wasn't a major contributor in Kentucky's most successful game from start to finish. I thought that was pretty telling. Now. I think that also goes in line with what UK brought Sestina in to be. They did not bring him in to be what he had been to start the year. Yeah, I mean, yes, it was a little bit of false false hope because he had some really, really positive signs early until we kind of saw that defensive breakdown game against Evansville. He was really kind of a solid piece on both ends of the floor um, for for pretty much all through exhibition play and then through, for the, uh, through the first couple games of the season. He was really a solid piece, but let's not make, make no mistake about it. He was brought in as a backup role player off the bench. That was, that was what his role was supposed to be. It was supposed to be Nick Richards at the five taking his junior leap, as he has, has shown. E.J. Montgomery playing like the lottery player NBA scouts said he could be. He hasn't done that yet, but – he, you know, that, that was the expectation going into it. And Sestina was supposed to be that, that third piece off the bench with a Khalil Whitney or a Keon Brooks coming, sliding down to the four in, in, a, in a backup role or in a, a, a role when the other players needed a rest, when, you know, throughout the game. So this is just kind of almost reverting back to what was the expectation going into the year. Now, I'm in no means saying that it's it's more beneficial to have him out. Kentucky desperately needs Nate Sestina. It's going to hurt. But 
I completely agree, David. I don't think that this is the, the catastrophic injury that some people are kind of making it out to be. And I, I'll tell you something else. I got to thinking about some things that you were saying there to add to it. And I had a lot of things going through my mind here but, uh, today as I knew we were going to do the podcast. Um, I do think where they'll miss Nate more than anything is, is probably uh, as far as his ability to talk and communicate defensively. Now some of these other guys are going to have to do that. Um, and, and Calipari, I think he said he was excited about some of the challenges because of this. And you say, what do you miss from Nate Sestina? I do think that. I think he was a great communicator out there. He's experienced. And he was able to – he's really smart and intelligent. was able to really get some guys in some spots. Now they've got to take care of that. Uh, I think the next couple of days, really the guys that I look for the most to make improvements, he talked about Keon and Khalil getting them there. But Johnny Juzang, uh, it, you know, he, he – Probably had his best game in the last one. And he can – the one thing he's noted for is he can shoot the ball, which is the same thing that um, Nate's noted for. So that's an opportunity for him to kind of step up and play that role. Um, also, I, I, I saw today where um, they expect Khalil Whitney probably to slide down some and start playing some of that four spot. So also interested to see the improvements that, that he could make. And this is a chance for all three of those freshmen in the next couple of weeks to really step up. Yeah, I, I need to see Khalil Whitney play with aggressive. So I am I'm a, a diehard Boston Celtics fan, David. I believe you know this. So I watched Jalen Brown's game fairly, fairly closely, and I've seen his development. And I think Khalil Whitney plays a very, very similar style of play, very similar builds, very similar, uh, you know, skill sets, kind of rawness on 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 offense. But long term potential is there. And watching his growth, what's what kind of separated. Brown's game over the last this season in particular at Boston is that he is playing with a level of aggressiveness that he has not shown through since you know since high school when he was just physically physically better than everybody else on the floor and more athletic than everybody else on the floor it's that level of aggression that has taken his game to a whole new level and I see that exact same thing with Khalil Whitney I think dude you are way too strong, way too athletic. The dude is six foot seven, two hundred and fifteen pounds with a forty-three inch vertical. He has no business floating on the perimeter and just just resorting to jump shots. No business doing that. He is strong. He can he can drive to the lane, initiate contact, get and ones. Darn near on every single play if he really wanted to. He is that level of athlete, that level, you know, that level of strength. And, and, and I mean, he has a solid basketball IQ. I just think he's trying to expand his game uh, where it's not, necess- not necessary yet. And I'm hoping that this injury ha- will, will spark the, the, the necessary aspect of, of that this team needs him to be an interior help. They need him for cleanup looks. They need him – I mean, the dude is – for his size, he is averaging 2.7 rebounds per game. That's just – it's just it's just not possible for a dude his, his with his athleticism and his size to only be picking up just over two, two rebounds a game. He When I watched him play the EYBL, I thought that well, – I said, okay, he can play the four in the small ball lineup, which they were talking about playing. So I really envisioned him at that time 
playing some power forwards at Kentucky this year. Um, so we're going to get to see that. I think too, Jack, I go back to, you know, the same talk we had a couple of weeks ago with um, Isaiah Jackson. And that was, do you go to Kentucky and play with other great players and, and fit into that system? Or do you go to Alabama and be the man? Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys, you know, in high school, all of them, there's not a lot, all of them from, I can imagine, probably from third or fourth grade up, all they've known their whole lives were they were the man. You know, they were the, the they were the number one option. They were the one with the targets on their back and the other team's scouting report. They were the scores. They got the shots in, in bundles. All of them did. And, and now you're trying to take all you've known and fit it into a role and blend and play as a team. And, you know, it's new to all of them. And, and Khalil Whitney's no different. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think this opportunity for him is going to be be very, very important for him. I, I just hope it I, I just hope it gives him that spark. I just hope he realizes, okay, wow, I am down low and I am physically a a, a physical presence down here and I can find success. I can you know Keon Brooks has been so so great in, in very limited time down sliding down to the four and and just working down in the post and 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 you know he's just been he's shown some pretty solid touch and just some 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 nice finesse that I I, I really didn't even know that that he had all that much um, and and I'm hoping to that that when Keon has to slide down to the four he is the finesse guy while Khalil is the the physical guy I want that that to be uh, the, the perfect counterpart I, I want them to complement each other when they have to to play off one another and and one slides down the four one plays at the three the other plays at the four the other plays at the three you know I, I want them to have I, they should be complementary pieces I th- that's kind of what Calipari brought them brought them in to be and we have yet to see that and, and I think that this could be an opportunity for them to do that. And I think one one last point before we move on to just the, the team itself and what's what's working for them, um, you know, outside of the Nate Cena injury. I think Dante Allen returning to the floor, not even just the game the, the in actual games, but in on the practice floor, I think he's gonna be a major, major help, especially on on defense for not him playing defense, but other guys guarding him like Khalil and Keon on, on the wing and, and um, you know, when if by by any chance Allen slides or finds himself down low, whatever the situation calls for it. I think Dante, I mean, he is a dude that averaged forty two point nine points a game and fourteen point two rebounds in 13 games as a senior last year. He was Mr. Basketball in the state of Kentucky for a reason. I know he only played 13, uh, 13 games. He tore his ACL, broke his collarbone. He is recovering from uh, a you know two fairly significant injuries. So um, the, it, it's going to be a process. Calipari said that it's going to be a process for him. But in terms of offense, he is about as good as it gets in terms of just a, a pure bucket getter. Calipari brought him in to be a bucket getter off the bench initially. He'll, I, I think, it, it, he's gonna he, his best days are, are way ahead of him. Ahead of him, he's not gonna be the a major threat for 
a, you know, at least a year or two. But I think he can provide a spark, at least in practice, to give you know just another practice body. If nothing else, he's just another practice body. His return, I believe Calipari said he played a, l- a little bit uh, in the half court th- today, um, looked, looked a little – uh, rusty, just in terms of trying to uh, get that physicality back, get that you know the the athleticism back a little bit. Um, but I think that's that's one player, one key piece of this to watch out for. As we lose one practice player for a couple weeks, we're getting another one who is a scoring threat, who will be able to keep you know guys like Keon and Khalil honest in uh, um, on defense. Yeah, I agree, and, and I think he probably does more in practice than he does uh, in the game. I think it'll be difficult having set out a year and, you know, he, he was going to be a player anyway that uh, was going to be better on the back end, I think of his career, but he has so many offensive tools and some of these nights are in the past when they've been struggling. I've actually thought, man, could have Dante Allen help him more than I would have thought. Uh, but it's good to see him the last couple of games kind of break out in the last two anyway where that need may not be there as much. But it's tough for a guy has been out a year with a severe injury. And I hear, you know, modern medicine's come a long way. And it used to be about 18 months before they got back to normal mm-hmm. off of knee surgery, and now it's not as much. But, you know, I've I wondered myself, um, you know, what would he – how rusty is he going to be? And he's kind of adapt to the college game, so it's probably not going to be now, but – I think you made a major point there. Get him in practice, and, and Calipari just needs bodies. So even when Nate comes back and you have him, now you actually have 10 legitimate players who are good enough to get scholarships in Kentucky going back and forth every day. That's the key part. That Yeah, that right there, it's – it's in, in, from an immediate standpoint, Dante's addition is going to just lessen the blow a bit on on Sestina's injury. It's not going to completely neutralize it, and, and I'm talking strictly in, in, in terms of practice, just having bodies. And then when it's really going to see its its major effect as he re, as he recovers to his his full ability, and then having Sestina in there, they're going to kind of mesh right at the same time, and, and there are going to be ten practice bodies, which is just going to help. It's going to help everybody involved practice. Um, as, as Calipari said a million times, and as the players have said a million times, practice is more competitive than the actual games at times. So, that yeah, it's, it's going to be fairly significant. But on that note, what is it – do you think that is that has just worked so well for this Kentucky team over the last two games? What has caused their their major their major blow up? I think Emmanuel Quickly and EJ Montgomery were major pieces. And you know, those are two all high school All Americans who were out. And I, I EJ had we we talked about Nick Richards, how good he's looked. Mm-hmm. But man, I've really been impressed with EJ. Um, I thought he made a strong back to the bucket move, but I've seen him make three shots in, a, in the two games he's been back off picking pops, off pulling up, shooting a 18-foot jumper, where he's looked really good. And, you know, I, I'm looking at him stretching the defense, and that's what we hoped he would do when the year started. And I know we did a piece on Cats Illustrated where Justin asked, who is the uh, – do you think will be the most important player this year? And I said, I, I don't know that he'll be the best. I, I, 
I kind of gave the MVP nod to Maxi, but I thought the most important would be uh, EJ Montgomery. I felt like if EJ could get it turned on, that it, you know they could really be legitimate. Um, so I think it's no mistake either that he comes back and they sustain his minutes kind of dwindled. We talked about that. I think that kind of went hand in hand. But I think having those guys back and just playing in rhythm, uh, you know, they they shot it a little bit better two games ago. They even got some confidence up. And if you watch them Sunday, you know, they just shot it. They were just stepping into shots. They weren't waiting. They weren't, well, nobody's guarding me. I guess I will. And trying to get adjusted. I mean, they're just catching and shooting, not thinking about it. And, you know, it's, it's weird. One or two shots starts going down, and then that, that rim just seems like it's a lot bigger. And, you know, by the end of that game, it's like they were shooting it into a trash can or something. <laughs> uh, so, you know, confidence is huge. It, it's all confidence when it comes to shooting. And, you, like I said, you could just kind of feel. And I wrote a, a piece after the game. I said you could just kind of feel from watching it in your living room that the weight of the world is coming off her shoulders. Yeah, you bring up a, a phenomenal point about EJ and, and just kind of his growth. Right now, he's averaging six points, four rebounds, and 1.7 blocks in 17.3 minutes per contest. You look across the country, and you get one of those type of players on pretty much every single D1 roster out there. There is a that, – that are – you know, that is about as pure role player – solid number as you could get nothing special it gets a job done all that but Kentucky Kentucky needs him to to not be a role player just just solid help they need him to take that next step step up and be a star on this team I, I mean I really think that he that he like like you said he is make or break for this team you know I think with him being just you know, average, slightly above average. This team can still be a, a sweet sixteen, elite eighteen. But if, but if they want to to be a national title contender and and favorite, I think EJ has to be you know take that next step forward and and really see a solid step. And I looked at his, his per forty numbers, and they're that. They're pretty much exactly what you want out of him. 15.7 points, 9.4 rebounds, and 3.9 blocks. That right there, I mean, obviously he doesn't need to average four blocks a game, but I don't see a reason why with more opportunities, especially with Nate, Nate Sestina gone, him getting more, more and more healthy, recovering from his, his ankle, ankle issue, I think with more opportunities, he can be a 15, 10, and 2 guy. In terms, you know, 15 points, 10 blocks, or, or 10 re- well, I, I hope 10 blocks, 10 rebounds and, and two, blo- two blocks a game. I think that is 100% doable for EJ Montgomery. He's way too talented. And, and you know, he, he blew up this offseason during NBA draft workouts and, and during that whole process. And teams legitimately said, if you come back for a, so- you know, right now, we may take you at the end of the first round but you're you know a very early second round pick but if you come back to school and you develop the same way that that you're kind of showing us right now you are a lottery pick they told him flat out you are a lottery pick and he has he has simply not played like a lottery pick thus far that's not to say he's not been you know been been serviceable that he hasn't shown something on the floor but he, I think these next few weeks for him are going to be so massive with more opportunities. He's going to be 
uh, you know, he's going to be make or break for for Kentucky being a legitimate national title contender. Is is that kind of what you're thinking? And how well has Hagen shot it? Oh I mean, goodness. better than we'd ever thought. And it looks good. And I mean, he's just draining them. Uh, Emmanuel quickly now he comes back from an injury. We know he can shoot the ball. He needs to get back in stride. That's the next move. And I would love to see in these next couple of games, Johnny Jusain pick up some confidence. Like I said, I think he can kind of step and sustain his role. Uh, and Maxie, just a consistency. Now, that was one thing about the last game. Maxie was making them from everywhere. Uh, and he, the same way he did against Michigan State. And I, I've said this, and some people disagree. Uh, but I, I think he's a strict shooter. I think his release is a little bit low. He's not a pure shooter. Mm-hmm. Now, you say, well, good Lord, look at the shots he's made. Yeah, he did. And he could make deep shots. He makes them so deep or he's in a gap when he's not guarded. Now, he's not, and what I mean, he's not a Ray Allen or Reggie Miller that's going to come down. Those guys are pure shooters because they can shoot over people. Uh-huh. His release is low or he doesn't necessarily do that. But if you look at his numbers in the, first, in the first game and the last game, they're off the charts. But if you look at his numbers for the middle three games, the shooting percentage is non-existent. It's like night and day between the first and fifth game and the second, third, and fourth game. It, so he's got to be consistent. You may have the numbers in front of you. I don't. But he uh, he needs to – if Hagan's quickly – those guys can shoot the ball. Juzang picks up some shots. And then Maxie can shoot consistently. Then, oh, yeah, absolutely. Calipari said if we make eight threes a game, we go undefeated. Yeah, he, right now he is shooting 34.5% from three, averaging 16 points a game. Um, let's see, uh, 58 I guarantee 58% you his from shots, two. his three-point shots in, in, in games two, three, and four, though, were probably under 20%. Yeah, just three point shooting. Yeah, and it doesn't show a a game log right here in front of me. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you bring up a really good point. It, it actually kind of reminds me of of Malik Monk when he was here at, at Kentucky. He, you know, his shot was like a knuckleball. It had no rotation on it whatsoever, and it was one of those. It's either going in or it's not. There, there was was no, you know, he he get he gave himself no favors whenever it came to backspin and and you know kind of just. Calipari kind of said over the last the last week or so that he just wants his players to shoot it at at the rim, shoot it straight because you know if if it goes left or right it has zero chance of of getting a rebound and you know it's he was, I thought the logic was kind of stupid but. His argument was you just got to shoot it straight and and you know give give it a uh, give it a chance and some of Malik Monk's shots were they I mean when he was on it was like that bucket was was thirty feet wide but when when he was cold yeah same same situation very streaky and and it's I think it's because his shot didn't get didn't do him any favors I mean it was it was literally like a knuckleball but um, but like Monk and like Maxi they can light it up and as we saw in March you know Monk. Monk carried that that team all the way through the very end, and and uh, you know we'll we'll see how, how Maxi can do, but um, you know I, I still have very 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 high hopes for him. You know I I, I see him as a major major piece um, as, as the as the the star of the team going into March. I think the team the team needs him as the 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 go to scorer, the the main main scoring threat for sure. Um, as I guess we can kind of wrap up the 
the current team, I guess, and get into recruiting a little bit. Um, the biggest news, I guess you could say, is that Cliff Omarui this week uh, cut his list down from 13, which the fact that he even had a list at 13 was just kind of uh, ridiculous. But he trimmed it down to eight, and Kentucky remains on the list. Uh, I believe he said that he's planning on make a, making a decision in the spring. Um, you, for those that don't know, six foot eleven, two hundred and thirty-five pound, um, true center uh, out of Roselle Catholic in in New Jersey, uh, four star rated as high as forty-two on twenty-four-seven Sports, uh, rated as low as fifty-five, I believe, on Rivals.com. But uh, David, do you know anything new on this recruitment, and uh, what what do you think Kentucky's chances are at this point? Well, what I do know is this: couple things. Uh, Kentucky is by far the premier program uh, on his list. Now, there's some other really good programs. Don't get me wrong. Auburn, Memphis, others. Uh, but uh, it's this is not a Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas final group of finalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, and it's interesting, I had said this. Now, I saw Corey Evans talking about Kentucky's class. And it kind of agreed with kind of what I thought was he's a different player than what Calipari has brought in so far in this class with bigs. He's brought in two power forwards, or, or we fours now we call, call them, and mm-hmm. Isaiah Jackson and Lance Ware. But uh, Omarui, is, he's a true center. So he is that pure shot, rim protector, uh, I guess if I look more of a body, you think more of a Bam Adebayo or a Nick Richards, one of those guys. Not saying I don't know if he's to the level of those players or not, but where those other guys are are six nine, you know, he's in the six eleven, seven foot range. Could be seven feet by the time he gets to college. So uh, that brings them in the type of player that they need. That's the one thing Calipari does not have in this class that he needs. So I believe that as this thing goes, Amarui becomes more and more of a priority for Kentucky. Um, he's visited a lot of, taken a lot of unofficial visits uh, here in, in the fall on East Coast. And uh, now he can kind of branch out a little bit with his finalists. But uh, like I said, I expect him to take a lot of officials in the spring. And uh, I would think Kentucky, they were in to see him three times during the fall. Uh, Calipari twice, Tony Barbie once, and I expect them to make him a major priority here uh, from now until he signs. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think I think the, the the there was a quietness with his recruitment there for a while in the fact that Kentucky was not one of one of the main schools being brought up for so long. It kind of it, it kind of threw me off a little bit because this summer. When I saw him early in the early in the EYBL season, I saw him at uh, again at the MBPA Top 100 camp, and I watched him and I talked to a lot of people there that that knew knew him, knew of his recruitment quite a bit. And the general consensus, there's one individual that told me specifically that he's Kentucky's to lose if they want him. If Kentucky truly wants him and prioritizes him, then he will be at Kentucky without a doubt. And 
it made sense because they, you know, they had gone up to see him several times and, and you know, offered, a, offered a, him a scholarship in April. And it really seemed like they were ramping things up and, and looking to kind of seal the deal in the fall. And, in fact, he even said that he was planning on making a decision in October, I believe. Um, it, or it, in the summer, he said he was planning on making his decision um, by the early signing period and, and as early as October. And then he randomly decides that he wants to wait until the spring. And I thought, oh, well, that's kind of strange. It's a, for, for how, how well Calipari had been recruiting him and, and uh, the, how, how great a position UK had, had put themselves in, I thought that was really strange that they weren't just going to go, all right, well, we know we can get this kid locked up. Let's just, let's just get him locked up now. Um, but at the same time, it almost feels like an Isaiah Jackson situation where as the dust settled on that and he committed to Kentucky – people kind of figured out that he was kind of Kentucky's to lose for the longest time. Uh, as, as you pointed out last week when, you know, after the decision was made that, that he had been set on Kentucky, then his, you know, they, they wanted to visit Alabama that kind of caused him to think a little bit more and, and do all that. But at the end of the day, it was always Kentucky. And I wonder if it's a similar station, a similar situation with cliff where Kentucky knows they have him in their back pocket, honestly, you know, and, and can, can get him when they need to in the spring and can kind of focus on the, the Greg Browns and the Jonathan Kamingas and, and kind of use him as a, as a backup plan. Now, does he want to be seen as a backup plan? That I don't know. Does he want to, um, you know, not be prioritized like the other guys? Again, I was told if he was prioritized, then Calipari can get him pretty, you know, with, with relative ease that, that, that he could, that, that he could make that happen. What is that? What is that definition? What does that mean? Has, have those visits like you just, like you just talked about those three visits. Does, does that mean that he's, he's ramped up, ramped up the, in, the, um, the interest and, and has prioritized them. It, I, I don't know. I don't know that based on, on what Omarui is. I did hear, um, I, I talked to somebody again this, this past weekend, um, who did say that, um, that even though can, that it, things are relatively quiet, that Kentucky is still just as much in it and, and interested as they had been this summer, that, that's, that it's not like things had dropped off or anything. I, I genuinely do think that it just has to do now with, with just timing and trying to make sure that they can still go for the big fish like Greg Brown and, and Jonathan Kaminga and all that stuff before, you know, bef- before ta- loading up on commitments in the front court. I think that if, if they really want him, um, that it, it's going to happen. And based on what I, what I heard, I, I'm feeling more good, more, more solid about Kentucky's chances with Omarui this week than I did over the last several weeks for sure. But you said timing, and I think it's a key word. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. But I'm curious, too, in, in the timing process, if it wasn't as much. Um, I mean, Kentucky did some heavy lifting this fall. I mean, they, they signed a lot. I, I think if we say they got more uh, signees this fall than Calipari's ever had during the early signing period. So yes. yep. they, they got a lot of kids, man. And you kind of remember Look how hard they were recruiting guys like uh, Kate Cunningham. So, I mean, they were – it was like John Calipari was all over the country. He was somewhere every day. I mean, you can only recruit – do so much recruiting. I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day. So, I think they may have known that, hey, and probably had, were relieved that maybe Cliff Omarui is going to do this in the spring so we can focus. We don't have to worry about getting stretched too thin. We can do our thing. 
and then we can worry about him when all this is over. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, that may have been something that they knew, and if they did know it, I'm sure it was a relief. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think that's a great point. I, I definitely think that th- that the the push to wait till the spring um, may have been initiated by Kentucky, and, and at least at least that that point, like, hey, you know, we, we really want you, but let, just give us a little bit of time. Kind of what they were doing with JJ Trainer a little bit, just like yeah. we're, we're really interested. We want you, man, but we just got to figure out some things first before we we you know get you signed you know signed sealed delivered let's let's well, push trainer, this off a little he's bit. another stretch guy mm-hmm. and like i said it already got two of those and i know that we mentioned some guys we mentioned kamega and we mentioned brown and they're highly more highly rated and they're considered more elite and and better prospects on the end but sometimes it's about to fit and what they need and like we said earlier kentucky needs a five that's the one thing that they don't have. And the one guy right now, even with Brown, even Kaminga, even with these other guys, Banchero, that five is what they don't have. They're not they're not centers. He is. And so I, I, I just I just feel like just looking at it from a need standpoint, I, I unless they've got somebody else in their back pocket that I don't know about, he is a he's a need for them. Yeah, and let's not let's not discount that aspect as well because we know that Calipari, based on how the Greg Brown thing unfolded and how his situation kind of randomly came out of the blue. I mean, Kentucky wasn't even in his top ten, and then boom, they're in their top in his top five. And now, based on who you talk to, they're they're top three at worst. You know, neck and neck with with Memphis for that number two spot. So you know, they they like to work in silence. They may have something in their back pocket they may you know feel really really good about a name that a lot of people aren't thinking about right now um you know whether that be uh, on the transfer market uh, as a grad you know potentially you know, knowing that a grad transfer is going to open up or or something don't be surprised if if something comes out of left field or, or something along those lines because it's it knowing how calipari works they are never not doing something. They are always. And we could touch briefly on what we talked about, Jack, um, before we came on. I wonder if this injury uh, to Sestina, we go back to the Mississippi State game last year. So I, 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 I don't have anything in front of me right now. I wish I had a schedule from last year. But I would say definitely that falls them in a 20 game window. window. Mm-hmm. In the last 20 games, all five of their post players have been injured. Four have been in the boot. P.J. Washington, Reed Travis, Nick Richards, E.J. Montgomery have all been in the boot. Nate Steiners broke his wrist. So if you have three posts, let's say they sign one more and you've got three, man, you're just one bad ball. You're, you're, you're one play away from stepping on somebody's foot to be down to two posts, and, and then you're really thin. So I, I wonder, if, if, if the way Calipari likes to play, if this all of these injuries to their post players do not reinforce that, hey, one more is not enough. Well, yeah, we've got two in, but one's not enough. What if that guy gets hurt? We need two more. I, I completely agree, and I, I genuinely think that Kentucky will go after two. 
at least. I mean, d- based on what we know now and the fact that, you know, the, the injury bug has hit so hard and, and Calipari kind of mentioned that, that he's going to reevaluate his, his scholarship situation and, and kind of figure that part out. But make no mistake about it, Kentucky went after several names in, in the spring. I know um, I, I talked to somebody, somebody at UK when w- after they received a commitment from Nate Sestina, um, and it looked pretty obvious that at the time it looked relatively obvious that they were going to get EJ Montgomery and Nick Richards back. I asked one of them, and I, I was kind of like, is, you know, is, is there even space left for all these guys you're still going after? Because at the time they were still – all in on Matthew Hurt. They were all in on Jaden McDaniels. Um, you know, th- those are kind of the main two because that was right around the the McDonald's All American time. Um, right, but right before I, I went down to interview those guys, I reached out to see you know just what the interest level is, and they were all in on both of those guys. And then, as you saw, they were all in on Defali Dante. They were all in on Kerry Blackshear. The options were there. They were pushing hard. Whether whether they you know whether you want to they admitted or not, Kentucky wanted those guys desperately and were not happy when they they went into the season with three scholarship bigs. So yes, I I one hundred percent think that they are going to at least try to sign two more. And I think they have to. I think it's a must at this point. I think. Calipari realizes the the emergency aspect of what's going on right now and how I, I mean how depleted his roster is right now. I mean it is bare bones in in the front court whenever there's a, a significant you know when when Nick was out it was bare bones in, you know in, in the exhibition going into the regular it, the first game when EJ was out it was bare bones. Now it's gonna be it's gonna be very very thin and they're gonna have to adjust and and ch- and move things around and rely on jumps from other people and and it, it just makes life difficult um, and I I just don't think Calipari and his staff are gonna be comfortable doing that anymore I think they're going to genuinely make that push to to sign two more um, in the spring I think I I wouldn't be surprised if they strike out a, I I think priority number one is Greg Brown. And matching him with with Jonathan Kaminga, I think the dream scenario right now is ha- is having a, a lineup of Devin Askew, B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, Jonathan Kaminga, and Greg Brown, and basically saying this is a team. In fact, last week Calipari mentioned that he's still looking, he's still wanting a roster that is capable of going forty and zero. And I think in their mind that is a roster that could that that could go forty and zero based on uh, on top of the other guys that they already have locked up and whoever may return. That is a starting lineup without a doubt that is going to compete for a national championship. And uh, I think that's priority number one. Uh, and then you got to factor in guys like Paolo, who is pretty adamant pretty adamant that he's going to stick with the class of twenty twenty one. I think I think they're going to still push if. Jonathan Kaminga goes elsewhere. I, I think Kentucky's still in a, still in pretty solid shape with with Kaminga. Um, like we already mentioned, Kentucky's chances with Greg Brown, but Paolo's right there. I think if if I were um, to to place a bet on, I think Kentucky lands Paolo in the class of 2021. Um, but you know, from there, I mean, you you just have no idea what's going to become available in the grad transfer market. I think they're going to go for those top two and Cliff. Um, you know, hope to get one and maybe add a cliff and then, you know, see what see what's out there in the grad transfer market. But I would not be surprised if they if they try to go after three big men. I mean, just just to have 
just just to have one you know a raw guy a raw player kind of like uh, Cliff Omarui. He's not going to be an instant impact, you know, at least offensively. He he is a multi-year player. Have him kind of sitting there developing, be the be a, a spark plug off the bench, um, but really rely on on guys like uh, Jonathan Kaminga or Greg Brown or whatever as as your your go-to guys, and then maybe throw in a grad transfer and see and see what happens as as your you know Reed Travis you know bulk bulk type player. Um, I think that's the blueprint. I think that they're still they, they are still very very much into uh, loading up loading up in the spring. This could this could be Calipari's biggest class in terms of just just numbers. Yep, no doubt. We kind of discussed that last week with quality and quantity. I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, with that, like we said, we're going to try to keep this thing short this week uh, with Thanksgiving. So. With that, I think we will go straight to our interview with Greg Brown's head coach at Vandegrift High School in Austin, Texas, Coach Cliff Ellis. Fans are obviously wondering, you know, who the heck is Greg Brown? What does he bring to the table? What's his personality? You know, stuff like that. So I figured I would go to you as, as uh, my, my expert. Well, I'll tell you this. Greg is uh, he's special. Um, that's the, that's the word I constantly use to describe him because, you know, being around the game of basketball for as long as I have, I've seen a lot of things. I've never seen that. I've never seen a kid like this, uh, especially, in, especially in high school or at a public school for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's got every tool in the book, but as far as the kid, the kid himself, you know, it, it's real, it's real easy for a kid of his caliber and his talent to be a real, you know, kind of an arrogant, pompous, kind of walk around like his stuff don't stink. <laughs> and, he, he, and he's completely the opposite. He's completely, he's humble, he's grounded. I think his parents have done an absolutely, you know, fantastic job, you know, of, of making sure that he understands bigger picture and not, you know, getting caught up in the moment. And he, you know, he's just, he's a fun kid to be around. He, he accepts coaching. He's a great teammate. You know, he was hurt last year for about 10 games, and he was the biggest cheerleader on the bench. Wow. And he could have sulked and pouted and whined and, you know, kind of shied away. No, he was on the front row acting like an assistant coach, high-fiving. I mean, he was he, – he's a lot of fun to be around. If you ever see him, I mean, he's always dancing, <laughs> cutting up with his buddies. I mean, he's just he, – he's a great he's – a, he's a kid. He's a great kid, and I, I, wish, I wish more, you know, superstars were like him. Just because he's fun to be around. Very cool. You say you say he's special. Um, from the first time you saw him up until now, what has that growth been like, and, and how has he uh, he put it upon himself to get to that special category? Well, he, I, I remember watching. He played in our middle school, and uh, I remember the first time I ever went down to the middle school and watched this kid play. And here's like this giraffe of a you know twelve thirteen year old who's about about six four at the time, you know, just walking around on these, you know, pencils and, you know, just wobbly <laughs> and huge feet and you just couldn't didn't quite have all that control yet, but you could see even back then, wait a minute, this kid this kid can move. This kid's got something to him. And even from that point it's it's funny because he, he kinda has grown exponentially. Every year he gets twice as good as the year he was before. And, you know, as a coach, you're like, that's not possible. We keep watching him, that he, he's growing in size, he's growing in strength, 
his abilities continue to grow. It, you know, it's, it's, if somebody would have told me, you know, after his sophomore year, uh, he's going to come back his junior year, he's going to be twice as good. I've been like, there's not, it's, I don't think that's possible. What did, what did he do? He came back twice as good. And, I, you know, I think that's, uh, that's really a testament to his work ethic. I mean, the kid lives, there's Jim Rass, and then there's Greg Brown. I mean, he, he lives in the gym. And if he's not working out with us, and he's here, he's the first kid I have in the gym on the gun, shooting, working ball handling. Then he comes to practice, practices his butt off. And then after school, I've got to kick him out so that I can go see my family. <laughs> and, then he le- and then he leaves from there and goes and does more training or, you know, is, you know, working with an individual coach or working with strength coach. I mean, he's just, he's a basketball machine. You keep saying, you, you say that he, he keeps on growing physically. Uh, he, I think he's, a, he's officially listed at 6'8", 205 on most of the, the recruiting uh, websites. What, what do you have him at right now? That's what we've got. We've got about 6'8". If he's got his shoes on, about 6'8 and three quarters okay. with a 6'11 wingspan. And 205, the last time we weighed him, uh, like I said, he just he keeps growing. And we knew you know, he came in at about 6'6", six, 6'6 six, 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 six and a half. And the first thing I told his dad is that he's not done. He's like, oh, no, coach, this doctor said he's got you know, two, three more inches. Wow. So, and he could hit another one because, hell, if you look at his feet and got he's got two water skis you know, <laughs> standing under the bottom of him so he he may grow another inch when he gets to college wow and, and which is what's scary is because when he was 14 and 15 he was just a freshman we were doing interviews back then and i would just tell him i said he's a highlight reel now i can't imagine <laughs> what he's going to look like when he's 18 and then when he's 23 when he finally stops growing and really fills out he's gonna be a monster yeah, he's going to be. He's like I said. So, and of course, NBA guys, college guys, everything's a projection. This kid's 14 years old. He's already getting Division One offers. Well, there's a reason. Oh yeah, because what what he's going to look like, especially when he gets to be you know full adult, 23, 24, 25. He's going to be, you know, he'll be six nine, two forty, two fifty, and there's no and with the athleticism that he possesses, it's going to be a. I'm glad I wouldn't have to guard him. <laughs> yeah. uh, absolutely. And uh, he's officially listed as a power forward, but it, it's my understanding that he's being introduced at, at your all's games as, as a six foot eight guard out of Austin, Texas. Yeah, he's a, he's a six, eight, he can play wherever he wants. <laughs> if he wants to bring the ball down, he can bring the ball down. He wants to be a shooting guard. He'd be a shooting guard. He wants to be a wing and be a slasher. We can do that. If we want to list him inside and, Feed him downside. Look, we can do that. He he's got all of those different uh, those different capabilities, uh, which makes it which makes it fun for me. It makes me look like a genius because I can put him <laughs> anywhere on the court and we can score. Uh, but he, you know, I, I project him, you know, playing that three four role in college, mm-hmm. and probably you know if he if he is lucky enough to get to the to the pros, he'll he'll be an outside three four kind of guy as well. Because he can break people down off the dribble, he shoots the ball well enough. Like he knocked down four threes just last night. Yeah. So I mean, he, he's not a he's not a definitely a one dimensional. Somebody else in an interview asked me, I, he's a big, you know, and I would say he's big, but I wouldn't categorize him as a big. I mean, I, I categorize him as a wing player, slasher, shooter. But if we absolutely need a bucket, we can stick him down there, and he can definitely get it done. So you think he he does project best at the college level as a you know kind of a 
a Kevin Knox type where he he you know Calipari used him at, at the three at times at the four at times you know small ball small ball situations put him down at the post but but you do think he could he has both the inside outside game at, at the college level. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, especially because not many people can jump with him. I've never seen it. Even Scott Drew at Baylor said he's never seen, and he came and watched him sophomore, junior year, and said, I've never seen a better in-game dunker ever. Yeah. And I, I, I completely agree with him. And he can do that from, you know, two feet just standing still on the floor under the basket and can almost rip the rim off, or he can get it going downhill, take off from the free throw line, you know, kind of kid. So he – he really does. He he can go. He can play from wherever. And if they put him at that three four, he's going to be. If they put him at the three, he's going to be successful. If they put him at the four, he's going to be successful. It really doesn't. I don't. I don't think a kid like Greg doesn't have a, a true position. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's just he he's too well rounded to to for I think to get pigeonholed. Yeah. And I think coach, coaches will see that instead of hey you're going to play inside because you're six nine. I think that takes away, you know, a third of his game. So you think by that, doing that. But go ahead. So everybody, you know, watching, you know, watching him on the AAU circuit or just watching film online or highlights or whatever, people people see the highlight, the, the highlight reel, you know, he's a walking highlight reel for sure. But but as you said, you know, he his game is expanding so much to, to the guard, you know, being able to shoot the ball as well as he is now and, you know, the just those guard skills that, that are just – very quickly coming along where did that come from where did when did that that you know pure athlete kind of become wow this is a legitimate you know this this kid has legitimate guard skills where when did that come and, and where did that come from well uh, and i'm not going to say that it, it was us by any <laughs> means because i know how many people i know how many people work with him you know but just as our high school program we don't train anybody back to the basket everybody's a guard and, I mean, we do ball handling drills on a daily basis. And I know he does so much work, especially, you know, with, uh, with Rod Anderson, who was uh, All-American at Texas, who was a guard. You know, he's got him doing ball handling, two ball, tennis ball, whatever. He's doing ball handling every single day, uh, you know, really to develop that. Or he'll get, the, you know, the, the pop-up defenders out, and he's going through and making contact and being able to still being able to finish in explosive moves off the bounce and, I think just his work ethic, you know, and, and with the different with the different types of training that he's getting, he's just really you know developed that. And then when you add in that step back jumper game, I mean, hell, I don't know how to guard him. I'm glad he plays for me because I don't know what to do. Because if you if you play soft, he can knock down the shot. If you push up on him, he just, he's so strong and so quick. He blow by. He, he's a blow by, and then dunking on whoever happens to be standing at the rim. So I think he's. So, he's- I think he's a cons- I think go for it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying he's a consensus top ten top ten kid, but you know he's kind of floating at that eight to ten range. Um, what what do you think? You know, do you think he can, he's going to be a, fi- a top five kid by the time this you know his his senior season's over? And uh, what what do you think he has to do to make that jump? Well, and, I, and I'm not sure exactly what they base all those rankings on. Um, you know, he's playing a and, – and I know it's funny because I get – I just kind of keep up with him on Twitter and everything, and then I'm getting hammered for playing the schedule or, you know, playing the schedule that we play. Well, in the state of Texas, we're, we only have four games that I get to choose. Yep. 
the other ones are, you know, the other ones we have to play our conference schedule that the state tells us to have to play. And uh, I don't know the, the metrics that they use on, you know, how they project these kids. or I, I don't know what they use. I just know I'll take Greg Brown on my team any day of the week. Um, I mean, they, he's the number one rated player in Texas uh, in 2020. And, I, and I'll, I'll put him up against anybody, honestly. Uh, there's nobody he can't guard. There. I don't think there's anybody that he can't score against. So, like I said, I, I'm not sure what exactly, how they use that, how they use that, whatever measurements or metrics, or is it points per game? I mean, he's averaged a, a double double since he was a freshman. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if there's anything more he can do. I mean, last year he was averaging 33 a game with 15 boards and five blocks and <laughs> with the schedule he plays. And a lot of times he didn't play. And there are a lot of games he doesn't play in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That's, that's... So if they use the, if they if they use those metrics, now I'm trying to keep out. You know, I, I try to keep an eye on you know his future, and I know he's going to be making you know money down the road playing basketball. It's not worth it's not worth it for me to watch him get hurt in a in a mean nothing fourth quarter when we're up twenty thirty points just yeah. so he can go get forty fifty points. Uh, yeah. His health and safety and well being are way more important to me than you know moving up the rankings because he has X amount points per game. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got you. Um, in terms of in terms of weakness, what what do you think he needs to in, improve on the most to you know become as uh, reach that superstar ability at, at not just the college level but the but in the NBA? Uh, well, he's got to get he's got to put on the weight, um, and even though he's gotten be- bigger and bigger, stronger and stronger, uh, people still you know, people just especially the one, the defenses we see people can't really stop him. So they just tackle him. Yeah. And, you know, and that's just the longevity of just getting knocked down that many times. So one of the things that I think, you know, from between now and, and, you know, as he matures is just the strength and development aspect of, of getting strong, building that cushion, building that muscle where he can, he can take those blows, you know, night in and night out. As far, you know, as far as skill level is concerned, uh, trying to think, you know, pinpoint, I, I think maybe just some of his decision-making and, and knowing that he can trust his teammates. Because uh, a lot of dudes, you know, he gets by so many people, you know, reading that second level. Yeah. Instead of having, you know, st- instead of trying to dunk on every single person, well, they may be standing under the rim ready to take that charge. Yeah. Of course, we don't have the restrictive circle in high school in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many times I watch kids, you know, slide over and fall down you know, in front of him right at the rim in hopes that they call a charge. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in college when they have the restrictive circle and in the NBA, and of course in the NBA, crap, with no, with, you know, no defensive three seconds or defensive three seconds and he's going to be, he'll be a highlight reel for sure in the NBA. He's kind of hard in, in Texas, you know, we, we play zone, there's no defensive three seconds, there's no restrictive circle. So it kind of makes it uh, their ability to, you know, squeeze the paint on him. So you do. So it's his decision making when he's attacking the rim, right now at the high school level, he's got to be aware of those kids sliding over, and I think that's just something that he has to see more of. And then you know, go ahead and make the dump off pass. Yeah. Instead of trying to, you know, there's been times though he's jumped over kids, which is always entertaining. Uh, I bet. But, uh, some of those kids I see jump in front of, I'm like, they're crazy. <laughs> You know, just having to guard him in practice or just hitting, hitting him with the pad. I mean, he's a strong kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's 
he's so explosive. Um, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm. I'm glad I'm retired. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, absolutely now obviously uh, obviously have to talk about his recruitment and just you know the the overall consensus you know just throughout throughout the nation is that he's a heavy texas lean i'm obviously there are the 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 relationships and 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 just the connections there with texas obviously Uh, is that kind of the the what what you know and you know just kind of that that texas has always been the team to beat at, at this point well, you know, it, it's funny. They they keep that stuff so close to the chest. Um, and, and I've told Greg and I've told Greg Sr. that I don't care where he goes. That's not my job. Mm-hmm. You know, that I want something. I want the good fit for him. I don't really care. I don't really get involved. I, I, I giggle and tell people, I said, I know as much as Twitter knows yeah. is where, he's, where he wants to go. Now, yeah, I know Dad played football at Texas, and I know Mom ran track at Texas. Um, and I... But at the same time, I know he's he's serious about going on all his visits and really kind of finding out what's best. Yeah, I'm shocked of having access to us here um, in Austin. You know, he's he's kind of a, a staple. He's been following Greg since he's a sophomore. But you know, Greg will listen to anybody. You know, now that Coach Cal has been in and um, and Coach Williams, so I mean, everybody's doing their due diligence and staying with him and building those relationships. And I, I really don't. I don't know where he's going to go, um, and I don't. I don't even want to prognosticate. He's got it down to his top five. Like I said, you know, I'm going to be just as surprised on signing day as everybody else. Uh, you know, I'm sure he'll pull do one of those hats out of a box or something like that. And I'll just, like I said, I'll be, I'll be standing right next to him, going, "Huh, good pick," you know, because I don't think he can go wrong with any of the ones he picks. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of that top five, when he did announce his top five, Kentucky just kind of came out of left field. Nobody had any idea um, except for, you know, I think his dad came out with a a quote that said, you know, we like doing things behind the scenes. And, you know, we kind of wanted to surprise people with with that because, you know, they didn't even make his top ten originally. And then, uh, you know, go figure, they're they're in his top five. What are those – what have have the conversations with with the Kentucky coaching staff – and I know you said Coach Cal has been by – um, you know, what have just the, those conversations with you been like when when uh, Kentucky's been in the building? Uh, you know, it's fun. You know, we Coach Cal and I we we actually share some funny stories. My name's Cliff Ellis, and there's obviously the old Auburn coach Cliff Ellis, and they're good <laughs> friends. So Coach Calipari pulls out his cell phone. He said, "I got to take a selfie with you." Send this to Coach <laughs> Ellis. So you know, we just we just had a really good time, and we talked. We just talked some basketball, and uh, not really not really about Greg's recruitment, but just kind of about, about basketball. Um, Cause those guys are, they're, they're there to build the relationship. You know, what we do is regardless. And, you know, we've got, I've got other kids that are, that are playing for me at, at the same time. So I, I've got to make sure I focus on not just Greg, but my, on our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, coach Barbie's been in a couple of times. He's been, he's been great to talk to. And, and coach Cal was, you know, that was as a, as a high school coach, I mean, I, the, the legends walking in, I was like, Oh, okay. So we still get to, be, we still get to be fans occasionally. I mean, I, I, I don't hesitate to say I got coach Cal's autograph and I got coach Williams autograph. And, you know, it's, uh, it's fun for us. I think it's fun for the kids. Uh, I think, and it's, you know, exciting for Greg and he, and of course he's so kind of an all shucks kid, um, that, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't phase him at this point. Uh, but it's it's been a fun experience for sure, and but like I said, when they come in, uh, you know we we get to meet them, we talk a little bit, we talk about their game, 
a lot of that stuff is done uh, via phone calls. Mm-hmm. And when they're there to watch, they're just, you know, they're, they're there to just make that relationship with Greg. And, uh, and I think Kentucky's done a good job. You know, I don't know what they were doing behind the scenes, but once they got on the scene, uh, they've been real consistent. And Coach Barbie keeps up, you know, kind of, hey, how's Greg doing, so forth and so on. And I know that's going on. Uh, but uh, I think most of the programs are doing that. So, they're, you know, they're staying, trying to stay hot on, on Greg. Now, other than the you know the obvious, what what do you what what has their pitch been to him, and and kind of how uh, they they envision him fitting in with some of the other pieces uh, around? Do you do you know what that is? Uh, I don't. I really don't sit. I, like I said, I don't really get involved in all of that. Like I, I've told Greg many times, I don't. I don't care. Uh, that's 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 between you, your family, and the next coaching staff. And so, you know, I know they had – they were behind closed doors with Greg. They, they got one of the meeting rooms here, and they sat with him for, you know, a good hour. So, uh, I, I don't I don't want to be in those meetings. Um, that's, that's, that's between them. That's their family and, you know, Greg's future and how he sees it. If they want my opinion, I'll be happy to give it to them. But that's not, you know, that's not my place. Uh, I just – I want what's best for Greg in a, in a situation that's going to make him happy and, and give him the, ne- the best chance to move on to the next level. The, and last question of, of me badgering you about his recruitment, I, I promise. Um, oh, that's fine. <laughs> um, there was this kind of general uh, assumption that, that Cade Cunningham was a massive piece in in the recruitment of, of Greg Brown, you know, for Kentucky specifically that, you know, I know Cade doesn't go to school, you know, with Greg, but they played on the AAU, AAU circuit together with Texas. Right. Te- Texas yeah, that's Titans. not fair, by the way. Yeah, oh, I know. It's, it's It was just ridiculous to watch those two together. Uh, but, you know, on that note, the, the chemistry that they built together was so impressive, and there was this kind of general assumption that if, if Kentucky, w- they were able to get Cade, that it would, you know, be paid, pay dividends with, with Greg Brown and could have uh, possibly locked him up. How close do you think they're, you know, do you know how close their relationship is, and, and do you think that was make or break with, with Kentucky's chances, or do you think that he's, he's just, you know, doing his own thing and he's going to make a decision, uh, you know, what's best for him no matter where other other guys are going uh, well i think i think i mean you, you bring up a great point that he you know he'll have that come you know that comfortability that knowing that he's not going to be going there and not knowing a single person mm-hmm. that he does have that rapport with him uh at the same time you look at you look at calipari's uh track record 18 one and done first round draft picks there there's something to be said mm-hmm. so uh I think I think that it could uh, it could play a part. I don't know for sure, uh, but I think that it'd be nice to have that comfortability with he knows somebody. He's coming in with somebody that he uh, has played with before and knows the kind of person that he's you know instead of just getting thrown on a team with you know five other freshmen and figuring out as you go. Yeah, uh, I think that could definitely I, it definitely can't hurt. Let's put it that way. Uh, I think. I think they're doing a good job recruiting him, and like I said, with you know Calipari could always make a strong pitch with what he's done in his track record at Kentucky and uh, with the guys that he's put on to the next level. So, uh, and like Greg and we always talk about it. I mean, he he listens. He's not he's not just caught up in that. He he wants to continue his career, and he's listening to the the people that are are trying to get him to that next career. You know, that next level and. Like I said, he's he he's serious about going on all his visits. He's going out to Kentucky, going to North Carolina, going to Auburn uh, to check out every to, to everywhere and 
everything I've talked to with Greg Senior, it's, it's you know they want that relationship. They want to know that you know his boy is being taken care of, that his boy is uh, being loved, that he's being coached, and that that it's a good fit. And I know that's what Greg is. You know, Greg Junior has said multiple times. I'm looking for the best fit for him. So I know that's going to be a big part of it. But like I said, it can't it can't hurt to know somebody that's already going to be there that he's played with. Gotcha, gotcha. And final, final question for you. Um, just a general summary. What, what, whatever school gets Greg Brown, what, what are they getting both on and off the floor? Off the floor, they're getting a great kid uh, who, you know, keeps his nose clean, never in trouble. Is a yes or no sir kind of kid. I mean, all he'll he'll be walking he'll be walking on campus, dancing, signing autographs, doing whatever, you know. 18-year-old superstars do. He's just a, he's a great kid. Um, they'll find out that real quick. He's not a he's not arrogant. He's very humble, very grounded. Uh, just a fun fun young man to be around. Uh, that's for sure. On the court, you're gonna get a competitor. Uh, and a kid that will make you scratch your head, like how in the hell did he do that? <laughs> um, we do it all the time. The kids, my players right now, they they laugh at me because you know he'll dunk a ball and. Kids are like, Coach, you don't even react anymore. And I said, well, we've seen it before. <laughs> but at the same time, I turned, to, I turned to my assistant and would just turn around and go, holy crap, did you see that? <laughs> you know, because the things he can do with the basketball are absolutely amazing. And, uh, and that's kind of where, you know, whoever gets them, they get, they get a highlight reel. They get a kid that they can – it's worth what, what I tell people all the time. He's worth the price of admission. I don't care <laughs> if you're paying $5 for a high school game or $35 for a college game or – $105 for the, the pro game, you're gonna, he's going to be worth it because there's, no, uh, there's nothing he can't do with the basketball. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Well, th- man, co- Coach, thank you so much. That was one heck of an interview. Uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time with me, man. Hey, no problem. Just make me sound smart. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right. You have a good one. All right. You too, man. See you. All right, and thanks again to Coach Cliff Ellis at Vandegrift High School. A lot of fun stuff there about Greg Brown and just how special of a player he is, man. Um, it, it is going to be, you know, that recruitment is going to be so, so, so important for Kentucky because, man, as, as, as he described, it's going to be, you know, Greg Brown is going to be a superstar at the next level, and it would be very, very fun to have him in Lexington. And, and with that... Uh, David, why don't you uh, tell tell our fans where to th- where they can find your work? All right, uh, uh, Coach David Sisk at twitter.com. Please give me a follow. Well, I said twitter.com. I guess it's Twitter. Uh, <laughs> give me a follow. Uh, use all of them I can get. You know, Travis is is turning into the. Uh, we miss him today, by the way. Travis is turning into the, the Twitter multimedia mogul, and. Uh, <laughs> We're going to have to pick up our Twitter game, I think, to try to stay in competition with it. But uh, also Cats Illustrated uh, on the Rivals Network. And uh, just uh, like I said, uh, give us a follow. And uh, we enjoy uh, and appreciate everybody that's listening to us, following us. Uh, Jack's done a great job of building this thing up. And I know we've got a lot of listeners out there. We do appreciate you and hope that everybody has a great Thanksgiving. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. We appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, we we appreciate the fact that you spend uh, a little over an hour an hour a week with us every single week. Um, you know, we we thank you. We appreciate all of the. Um, all the fans, all the, the people that reach out to us, give us questions, you know, I beg, beg for these podcasts every single week. We see each and every one of you. We appreciate it. We see it, it reflected in the numbers every single week. Um, we, we are just very, very thankful, and we hope each and every one of you has a very nice uh, family-filled Thanksgiving and eat a ton of turkey for me, mashed potatoes, uh, mac, mac and cheese, all the good stuff. Make sure you do that. And we will be back next week for another Jam Pack Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. It's just-